0: Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 131. This episode, I've got to say, this has been an episode that I've been looking forward to not only recording, but since recording, I've been looking forward to getting it out for um, for a while. This episode is with Dave Hancock. Dave is currently the CEO at Apollo but an extremely experienced practitioner, previously worked at a number of different football clubs, including Wolves, Leeds, Blackburn, and also with England as well. We covered loads in this podcast. It was an hour of just packed full of information. We spoke about building relationships. We spoke about some of his biggest takeaways from working in football, managing egos, but also managing um, difficult players, but also mavericks. So the players that are really... Um, influential and can stand out Um, and then we also touched on how the modern game has influenced our practice and how we should go about preparing players as well so this is absolutely packed full of information I really appreciate Dave coming on because he's one of the busiest guys out there that I know so I appreciate him giving up his time and coming on to the podcast and speaking so openly and honestly as well I just wanted to take this opportunity just to give a real quick heads up so We have just agreed to run another of our webinars in association with physique management. I'm delighted to say that one of our previous guests, someone that's completed their hat-trick on the Football Fitness Federation podcast, Evie Casagrande, is going to be coming on a webinar with myself and Charlie on the 8th of April we're focusing on females in football. Um, so if you do have any questions for Evie, you can send them in to us before the webinar. But I do encourage as many people to come onto the webinar as possible and engage with some of the conversations that we're going to have around females in football. So really excited for that. So just keep an eye out on our social media. Um, you'll be able to sign up to the webinar very soon. But that is happening at 6 o'clock on the 8th of April Um, So keep an eye on at FootballFitFed on Twitter and Instagram, or you can go and give Physique uh, Management a follow as well. So they're at at MGMT. As always, huge thank you for you guys for listening and supporting the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast if you've not done so already. Head over to iTunes, leave us a review if you've not done so already as well. But I will shut up now and I'll dive straight into the podcast with Dave Hancock. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 131. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome onto the podcast today the CEO at Apollo, Dave Hancock. Dave, thank you very much for giving up your time and coming on.
1: Pleasure, Ben. Nice to be on.
0: Now, I know I just want to dive straight in because we've got so much we could cover in this podcast and I want to make sure we make the most out of the time. So, Dave, just take us back. Anyone that's that's not aware of your career, which I'm sure there won't be too many, but do you want to just take us back and just start us off how you got into football initially?
1: Sure. Um, so I played rugby um, and I got injured. I was playing for, actually, for Yorkshire um, and I was going for trials with the north of England. Got injured, really wanted to get into physio. I felt I got treated as a young kid. Went to a, a medical school at Leeds, and then, basically, loves living in the north of England. Uh, while I was a student, I ended up physioing for uh, a sort of semi-professional rugby league team. And then um, I was just destined that I wanted to work in sport. You know, I, I was a not a bad runner, and obviously played rugby at quite high level. And um, I was like, this is what I really want to do. And since I was sort of 14, 15, so I got my degree, uh, had a good education from. Uh, Pinderfields, which unfortunately is now closed down, but many physios in football came from from Pinderfields. So um, Dave Galley, who was at Liverpool and Sheffield Wednesday, trained at Pinderfields. Um, Mark Leather, who was the Liverpool physio for like well over 10 years, he's now an educator in uh, Manchester, he came from Pinderfields. So we had a really good background of training and rehabilitation because the guy that ran the college was an ex uh, sergeant major. So he had a lot of military background and RG background, which sort of where physio came from. It came from RGs, remedial gymnasts, coming into rehabilitation. So I had a good footing there. And then uh, I was fortunate enough, well, I worked at Jimmy's for a number of years. It sort of got went and did my rotations, but outpatients and orthopedics was always my passion. And then I got lucky, uh, got asked, the physio who worked with me was my senior, um, basically went to Oldham Football Club. And at that time he was working part-time at Leeds Rugby League. And he asked if I'd be interested in taking over his position, which I did and I loved. So I was at Leeds Rugby League uh, in the very early 90s, like 92, 93. And then I was like, because it's part-time and I obviously loved it, it was rugby, you know, different code, but I loved doing that. And then I applied for a job at Wolves. I saw an advert in the journal for a job at Wolves in 1994, 93, 94. It's a long time ago. Um, and I went down for a five-day working interview with Graham Taylor, who was the manager at Wolves. Got the job as the assistant physio and the rest is history.
0: And then I know a lot of people know that you moved on to the, the likes of Leeds, Blackburn, Chelsea and then another role that we didn't mention before we started recording with England as well. So working with some... Unbelievable players in unbelievable squads. You're thinking of the, the Leeds team that you were part of. Um, obviously, the Chelsea team getting to Champions League and then England as well. Um, in terms of building relationships in those roles, Dave, with coaches, what would you say would be some advice for physios or SNC coaches, sports scientists, trying to build relationships with people? Because you've used the word luck quite a lot in that start when you're talking about your career but I sense there's a bit of work that's gone behind
2: that as well as just being lucky I think the first thing is when you go into a new environment you know, it's their environment it's not yours, So if you join a new club um, you've got to sort of work out you know, what the hierarchy is how the politics go on and depending on what level you go in at depending on what influence you have but Like anything that you do in life or any business that you do in life. You know, I'm now running businesses. It's about relationships. okay? And certain people work in certain ways and other people work in other ways. So it's no different if you're coaching or treating an athlete. Each athlete has different requests and different needs. Um, And basically, you need to adapt to those individuals and you need to adapt to the environment. So my first view is that when I go into a new environment, a new club, you know, I go in and I look and listen and sort of sponge and, and understand the politics and how people are actually working. What makes them tick? What makes them um, understand what you do, right? So it's, first of all, you have to build up human relationship, right? The second thing is, I also think, don't try and be someone that you're not, okay? Um, I think I've come across so many people that are false, so many people that talk great games but actually don't deliver. Um, You know, people that promise you the earth and it doesn't happen. People that, you know, just be yourself and learn from mistakes that you've had and hold yourself in high esteem, okay? So keep your standards high. Don't let your standards drop. Even though people around you including the coaching staff, that their standards might drop. So the little things like, for instance, being being on time, right? Making sure that you're on the bus. If you say you're gonna do something, do it and deliver it and deliver it well. And those things sometimes are often missed. Um, and I think that I, I had, I was really lucky because my first manager at Graham Taylor, God rest his soul, was an incredible organizer. I look back at all the coaches that I worked under, like Mourinho, Capello, Phil Jackson, um, you know, Terry Venables, you know, top, top, top class coaches in their own right. But Graham probably wasn't a brilliant coach. He was a very good coach and a very successful manager. But he was successful at Watford and Aston Villa, I think because of the organisation mm. and those standards. And I, I, I had an incredible experience working with him and his team and just learn various different things from those coaches. Because I think also, you can learn so much from the experienced people. I think if you go in and go, hey, you know, you're old school. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, I know this, I know that. You're hiding to nothing. You'll basically go in and fire. I'll give you an example. There's, there's stories that I hear of people that come to America, right? So obviously after Chelsea, I got head on it to go to the Knicks as a performance director. So now I'm going from 17 odd years in football to working in the NBA. So I'm the performance director and I'm in charge of all the strength and conditioning, all the medical, all the prevention. But my job is obviously to liaise with the coaching staff and the GM. And it was this new position. So, and plus I'm English. And, you know, they're like, well, what do you know about basketball? So the view is to go and survive in that environment, you know, just sit back and watch and learn. And then when the timing's right, put your little pieces into what you need to do. Um, but I've seen people that have come to the States and literally gone in, like there's a scenario where the team was eating pizza and having a beer and ice hockey the team after the game, right? So the new guy comes in and goes, you're not eating pizza and beer. That's not really the way that we should be doing this profession. And he literally did it as soon as he walked in through the door and he lasted four or five months. Yeah. Because the players at the end of the day were like, yeah, who's this guy? You know, I've been doing this the whole of my career. What do you know about hockey? what do you know about to get from that young minor league to the first thing? So I think the being a sponge and also having respect, even though you personally might not agree, just still having respect, but being able to learn from these people. And I, I, I think what I'm good at is I, I think I'm a good sponge. I think you know I remember when I was at Wolves, I. At the time, this is like 94, 95, the, there was a big Italian revolution coming into English soccer, right? So Middlesbrough were signing Lavanelli and all these people and Giorginio and all these people from around the world, right? So this is the early 90s. And the premiership had just really started. And everyone was going on about Italy. So I thought, you know what? I think I was 26. I wrote to all the Italian Serie A clubs, and I got a response back Uh, from a couple of them some of them didn't bother and I ended up going to the club and said I got an opportunity to go AS Roma could you give me some money to fly?" and I went oh we haven't got anything in the budget this is Wolves so I just thought well I'll pay I'll do it myself Mm. so I wrote back to the doctor and I went and had a week with the Italians at AS Roma right and I picked up so much from looking at that and then the following year I went to the Miami Dolphins. I went to the IMG Academy, you know, and it it just became, I went to the San Francisco 49ers. It came to all these things where I was building up these relationships and networks with my, paying myself for my own education. And that was a really good footing to understand what not only goes on in football around the world, but also what goes on in other sports. So my recommendations to your listeners you know, if you're getting in and you're young and you're hungry and early, take on board what I've said about sort of working within the environments, but also go and sponge for other people. Reach out to them. And you'll get knocked back, you know, probably 99% of the time. But the one percentile that comes back to you, follow it up, follow it up, and, and you'll, you'll get some. You know, never give up, even though you've been trying and trying and trying. The key is just be persistent. Because anyone that's been successful in anything, it hasn't happened straight away. You know, they've had a lot of knockbacks. I remember, you know, and what goes, I'm a big believer that the more of that you can do, and you just keep trying to stay on the road and try and drive, things will come. So I remember when I was at Blackburn, I went for an interview at Man United as the assistant. Dave Fever had come to, to Blackburn and Rob Swire moved up from assistant to first team and Dave asked me would I go in for an interview with his assistant, I'm now the academy physio that. So I said oh absolutely I would. And I'd previously treated Alex Ferguson's son Darren when he was at Wolves as a player. So I had some inroads from that perspective and I ended up going for the interview and I went up against a guy who just was the assistant at Liverpool. And I got told that Fergie really liked me, but the doc wanted the guy from Liverpool and I didn't get the job. I was gutted. But then six months later, I got the job at Leeds United as the head physio.
1: So, you know, the knockbacks, just get back on the road, keep driving, keep driving. Does that answer the question?
0: A hundred percent, yeah. And it's a really common theme. And, and that's why I like speaking to people like yourself because it's. I think it's important. You look at your CV, Dave, and obviously people will be like, wow, all the, all the teams you've worked with, the we've not even mentioned the other side of things in terms of the other sports and obviously the musicians and everyone that you're involved with at the moment as well. Um, People will look at that from the outside and be like, what a CV, like how do I do the same sort of thing without realizing all the struggles and all the hard work that's gone behind it. Um, So I think that's really important, but on reflection, when you have worked with different sports and we can go into in a little bit what you're currently doing now with your businesses as well, which I think is really interesting. Um, what are some bigger takeaways from working in football? So when you've been in football, it's when, like day in, day out for the, that period of time, what are some sort of takeaways that come out for you? Oh, um, I know you'll have a few. <laughs>
1: I think, I think understanding the game, whatever sport you work in, is vital. Okay. And I think also trying to work out when you're rehabilitating someone or training someone that you can explain why you're doing this that relates to the game. Okay. So, you know, putting someone on a treadmill and just doing a load of leg sprints. It's great. You know, we can do some speed endurance work or you can do some ballistic anaerobic work, whatever. But, you know, running on a treadmill is not what they do on the pitch. And, breaking down now with data can tell you exactly what they do on the pitch and what angles and what movements they do. So I'm a big believer in watching the movements, watching the positions and like, for instance, being specific about the positions that they play mm. because what a centre half does is not what an attacking midfield player does or not what a centre forward does. And the same in basketball, what a point guard does is not what a big does. So I think understanding that and, and watching it and analysing it and then being that sponge, talk to the coaches Talk to me about how that midfield player, you know, in that formation, how does that work? Go and get your badges. You know, I've got a UA for B coaching badge. But I'm never going to be a coach, but I did it purely because I was like, you know, this is quite interesting. I need to learn this game. Um, so that would be one takeaway that to incorporate actually what they actually do. And if you do that, I think you'll get more buy-in from the athletes when you explain that. Yeah. So, way back in like 2001, I was taking Prozone and I was looking at Prozone movements for a lad that was a centre forward. And we were doing some attacking around the, the um, goal. And these drills are all incorporated from what he actually did in the game. So, that, I think that's, that's an important one sort of understand the game. I think a lot of, probably more physios than sort of sports science and strength coaches, but still, there's more you can learn. Mm. You've got these coaches, you've got these players, talk to them about it, because it's their profession, it's what they love. You know, so you know, I'm in, I, I'm rehabilitating Kevin Durant, I'm sitting talking to KD about, talk to me about that, talk to me about what move yours, what's your go-to move? How do you work that? What are you thinking when you're waiting to receive that ball? What are you thinking about when you move from here to there? Because that's fascinating. You're inside yeah. like an elite athlete's brain understanding and then relate that then to what you're going to do with them, whether it's rehabilitation treatment or, uh, you know, increasing performance. And then that leads me on to, I think a lot of times in the sort of strength and conditioning world, people do all this testing, right? So everyone's obsessed with testing now. So we're going to look at RSI. We're going to look at Nord boards and eccentric hamstrings and this, that, and now we're going to look at imbalances left to right. Great. Right. We've got some objectivity. But at the end of the day, is it actually improving the performance of when they play on Saturday or Sunday? Because if it's not, even though it makes you look good and you can show it to the player that they're improving, I've got no problems with that at all. Mm. But the bottom line is, if you're in that strength and conditioning position or a sports science position, your job is to actually get them to perform better every Saturday, right? And to, to raise the bar, not be happy with just a consistent bar. Well, they're fit. Millions of people can do that. Mm. Is to actually how do we get someone, because the human body for me can do so much more and so much more than what you actually realise it can do. So there, there will be sort of two takeaways. Take and then I think just football, like the dedication of what people do in football is pretty amazing. If you think about, you know, you give up your life um, this is typical me, but when my wife is having our first child, and this probably sums me up, probably to the detriment, and my wife's <laughs> incredible about this. But when my wife was having our first child, she went into labor, and I got a phone call. We were playing West Ham, I was at Chelsea we were playing West Ham away, and I obviously lived in London. And I got a phone call through the hotel at like 5am got a taxi rushed back home went to the hospital and they said oh no you know you're not dilated enough now go home give us a ring okay it's a true story and I said to my wife can I go and do the game
0: (laughs) I hope you don't after
1: (laughs) and what was funny while she was in labour I actually and watching the boys beat West Ham so maybe I've got it all wrong but it's that dedication, right, that a lot of people have to, you know, push and drive. And, and the, the other thing is don't get complacent because that's, that's the easiest thing to do when you, once you're in it is yeah. to get complacent, right? I'm at Chelsea. I'm at so-and-so. You know, I've got this position. I'm head. i have in charge of this. That, great. Well done. But there's always going to be a better job for you. There's, you're always going to have an opportunity to earn some more money always going to better yourself don't get complacent it's the same in business right my view is oh you know i've got a good physio business we turn over x i make this you know i could just sit and just sit back but you know i'm up at 5 a.m i'm going to see people at seven eight o'clock with a two-hour drive there and back not everyone they they say they'll do it but not everyone will do it and i think Mm -hmm. that's the other thing i think that sort of dedication and commitment and the fine details of stuff, I think, has really helped me in what I've been doing and where I'm going with sort of my career. So yeah. I hope that's, I hope it's good advice.
0: No, I if, think that you
1: can always write on the toilet paper and clean your butt
0: with it. <laughs> I think that's great advice. I think it's it's really important for people because I think some big coaches have that perception of getting into. We always talk about the tracksuits, don't we? The earn that tracksuit with the. Initials yeah. on it, and then they've made it, and it's not the case at all. Um, the thing I was gonna ask as an extension of that question, Dave, is the sort of evolution of, of football, if you want to call it, and the way that teams are now playing, and we've got your bielsa's and your uh Klops, like all these different sorts of ways of playing, and how the game's progressed. Um, and and even the managers that you've worked under, you think of your Mourinhos and your T- Graham Taylors and people like that. How do you think that has affected? the work we do off the pitch?
1: Well, hugely, because if you obviously look at the speeds and the distances that these athletes are now doing, you know, these coaches are pushing and pushing and pushing the bar. So what's happened is, and what I see is that a lot of people then have basically thought, okay, well, you're pushing the bar, we need to hold back the reins and almost just continuously work on recovery, recovery, recovery. to make sure that you don't end up having a string of injuries. I think there's a balance, right? I I think a lot of strength and conditioning and sports science people, and I'm not just talking in football, I'm talking around the world, they become more protective for rightly or wrongly, but I think they become generally more protective of the athlete. And I think there's a balance because I really believe that, you know, human performance is always, the barriers that are always to be pushed, not to be pulled back. So, I think you've got coaches like Klopp um, and you know, the view is at the end of the day, right? They're going to win, they're going to win and lose. And if they win, they stay. If they lose, they've gone. Mm. Right. So they're going to be gone way before us. Yeah. Okay. So it's their job actually to, you know, go along their philosophy, live by the sword, die by the sword, but to be able to work within their philosophy and adapt to their philosophy is quite important for us to survive or have influence because if you don't do that and you're trying to keep on knocking your head against a brick wall because they're not listening to you then actually are you having an influence on things like recovery on things like performance so you know i always say same when i treat someone if i treat you and i treat you three times am i making you better am i improving you? because if i'm not i'm actually you're going to go back to the drawing board and think about what I'm actually doing to improve you. And if I can't, I'm big enough, a man enough to go and ask someone else to come in and help you to be improved. And that's a difficult thing to do. It should be no different in the sports science or the strength and conditioning world. Am I improving you in the gym? Yes. Am I improving you on the pitch? Yes. Am I improving you match day? Yes or no? Because mm. the data and the information is there. And that should be what you should be thinking about. How can I improve you? How can I improve this team? How can I help the coach? How can I improve the coach? And it's it becomes a, a high performance. What you, you you know, as a high performance director, the idea is you're trying to bring all of these different silos together. And really, that's what we're doing in Apollo now, like I explained to you with software, to actually bring like match statistics with GPS data. So you've, you've got all of the different departments of all that information, whether it's a subjective voice note directly from the coach into his phone, or whether it's an objective piece of information from Opta or from Statsports or GPS, Catapult, whatever you use, you the, the opinion of the coach is as important as what you're actually collecting from objectivity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. 100% because that, a lot of it comes down into managing egos and relationships between people again, doesn't it? Like we within a team, we're going to have a lot of egos, a lot of opinions. Yeah. Um, so if people are in a role where maybe they have to manage a team of some sort and they've got a number of different egos, like from your experience, how do you go about that? Because some, I'm guessing some of the players that you've worked with, some of the coaches you've worked with, there's been some challenging discussions and conversations are probably disagreements along the way like how do you be effective and get the um, sort of result you want out of those conversations
1: yeah I think the first thing to do is to understand that you're not going to be everyone's friend when you've got a group of 30 athletes some are going to like you some are going to be uh, he's okay Mm -hmm. some of them might even dislike you yeah don't take it personal it's human personality okay the way to do it is this they might not like you but they might respect you and they'll respect you by sticking to your gun sticking to your opinion right and your opinion sometimes won't will be disregarded don't be offended by it a lot of people get offended and that's then when the ego and the personality comes into Mm. play if someone disagrees with you and you know time has taught me don't worry about it. You've, you've given your view. You've stuck to your opinion. Don't waver. So a lot of people will sit on the fence. I say in sport, there's two different types of personality or two different types of people, right? There's basically survivors, and there's a lots of survivors in sport, lots, at any level. They're the people who would just go, yes, coach. Oh, I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, you, you're 100% right, okay? Okay. And then the next coach comes in and says something different and you go, oh yeah, I agree with you. Mm. Yeah. They just sit on the fence and survive to keep their job or keep their badge or keep their name on the tracksuit. Okay. Mm. And there's lots of them. And, and every organization needs the, the, the foot soldiers the survivors. Okay. But then you've got the innovators and the innovators are the people like Kopp, right? Like Mourinho. Okay. Like Ferguson mm. that will push, they'll push boundaries right? They innovate. They reinnovate themselves. If you think about Fergie, right, there's no way that Fergie back in the 90s was the same as Fergie in the 2000s. He had adapted to not only the way that he coached or managed, and obviously there were certain traits, but also you're dealing with a different generation. Right? So dealing with the likes of Butts, Beckham's, Neville's, as young kids, was different from dealing with the Rashford's and, and a completely different generation, right? You're dealing with social media. Social media wasn't around in the 90s. So the ability to adapt to what you do and your scenarios is really, really important. And I think that, you know, my view would be, be an innovator, don't get discouraged if someone goes, oh, I think you're talking a lot of crap, right? You know, just stick to what you believe in. Learn, sponge, develop, and also have fun. I see so many people that are just so serious all the time. You know, at the end of the day, you actually, believe it or not, sport for me is hugely psychological. Whether you're dealing with an athlete one-to-one in the gym, whether you're treating someone or rehabilitating someone, you've got to understand, you've got to put yourself in their environment, right, where they're doing something and all of a sudden they get injured and it's like they're not in that environment anymore. You know, the the whole things that come out about depression and, you know, the, the mental health side of sport is huge. It's one of those things that we've brushed under the carpet for many, many years. But it's everywhere. Just because you're an athlete doesn't mean to say that you're immune from it. And I think that if you enlighten what you're doing and you have fun with what you're doing, you can be professional, but, you know, have fun. And I mean, i would be honest, that's one of the things that I actually miss from the sort of team environments now, mm. is that banter. And just, you know, in America, we call it breaking balls or busting balls. I just think it just enlightens the moment. It just relaxes everyone. And I've seen some very interesting people in the different clubs and sports that I've worked at. You know, you call them characters. And in fact, them characters are actually really important for that environment. Because they can diffuse situations when things get really stressful. And they do. Right? And if you haven't got that release valve, then the tension builds up, builds up and builds up. And then that then starts affecting performance. So, you know, you might not be that jovial type of character, but everyone likes to smile. Yeah. Everyone, likes, everyone likes positivity. One thing I've learned coming... I've been in America now for like 12 years. One thing I've learned between sort of the English and the Americans is they're a lot more positive about outlook in life here, mm. and especially in sport. I mean, I remember one season I went, so I've gone from winning premierships and championships with Chelsea, and I've come to the New York Knicks, and they hadn't won for 15 years. Mm. And we, were, we I remember, I think we lost 10 games on the bounce, and this is, I think it was my first season. and I was like pulling my hair out. I'm like, what on earth is this? But the coach was positive, positive, positive. We get the next one, positive, positive. Because that's the way that they are. And they were very much like, he ended up getting them out of that now It wasn't like, you know, doom and gloom. It was literally, let's look at this. Let's be positive. Let's go to the next one. Let's go to the next one. Let's go to the next game. So, the positivity and looking on the brighter side of things, even though when it's really difficult, is really important. And I think that I, I honestly believe, like, I, I, you know, I've i sat and listened to Phil Jackson. Like I used to go and have breakfast with him every morning, right? And I'm sitting there and I was more interested in him. And he tell you stories about, like, um, Dennis Rodman. And he said say to me that, you know, that the success of the Bulls with Jordan and Pippin wouldn't have happened without Rodman. Yeah. And he said the problem with Rodman was that his type of character and personality, right, was that every coach tried to put him in a cage. Mm. Okay. And by putting him in a cage, he used to rebel. That was his personality. So the only way to get the best out of Dennis as an individual, right, was to take him out of the cage and give him some rope. Okay. You know, you obviously manage him, but let him fly. And then what happened was he'd come back and just would be an absolute bull in the defence. And that's one of the reasons why the dynasty is what it is. Yeah. Okay? So that's great man management of that particular character. Imagine a coach, a player coming in the premiership and saying, boss, I need three days off and I'm going to go to, I'm to, go to Vegas. In the <laughs> middle of the season, right? Imagine that. Imagine what any coach in football would do when they come to that. Well, yeah. Phil Jackson said, yeah, okay. Yeah. Right? And he got the best out of him. So I think it's really important um, to take those values and positivity. But I also think it's really important just to stick to what you believe and don't get disgruntled with people disagreeing with you, right? And the, I think the other thing, especially from what I've seen over the years, there's several different ways to do things. Yeah, there's a, there's there's a multiple ways to treat an athlete. There's multiple ways to train an athlete. There's multiple ways to coach an athlete, right? And your way will work for you, but it's not necessarily the right way. And But you believe in it, so believe in it. But don't ever think that yours is the only way. Because yeah. I could bring in 50 orthopedic surgeons and 50 physios and 50 sport scientists, and we could look at one particular area, and we all have disagreements about what we would do on our protocols to rehab, treat, perform, whatever it's the way it is. The beauty of it, of the human body is that they all adapt to it. And that adaptation is the fascination of what we all do.
0: I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far and some of the stories that Dave's told so far in the podcast. I just wanted to give a heads up on the some upcoming news for our online community. So we've got some upcoming webinars based around female strength conditioning. We've got one on mobile technologies, one on nutrition, and many more coming over the next month or so as well. Um, we've also just announced a new partnership with Physique Management. So all of our community members will now get 10% off on the physique management website which is great news for some of our members Um, and we've also just started reaching out to clubs and trying to tie in um, some dates for our 2021 networking events as well and those events when we run them the presentations get recorded and they get uploaded onto our online community so if you are at a club and you would like to host an event We're looking sort of from June onwards, depending on some of the restrictions, um, how they get eased. But if you are at a club and you want to host, please get in touch, mail at footballfitfed.com. But the community, you can go and check that community out. If you're not already a member, you can go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, register and sign up. You will get one month free. After that free month, it's only £4.99 per month going forward. And you'll get all the current content that is available on the web on the community, as well as some of those webinars that I've just mentioned. All the discounts we've got available with some of our partners, and I hope to confirm a few more discounts and, and partnerships coming up very soon as well. So go and check it out. If you're not already a member, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign up there. Here is part two of the podcast with Dave Hancock. Yeah, and that's exactly why the majority of people are surely involved in what we do as well because there's, there's that there's that side of things. I think there's some amazing stuff in there, really, really cool. I think the, the positivity thing and the, the having fun is one thing I first of all wanted to point out because we talk a lot about building relationships and I asked you right at the start about building relationships with coaches. And I think that is such a, it's such a funny thing because we go into an environment like that where we do want to build relationships. If we were in like a pub or a, somewhere outside of work, the last thing we'd do is sit there and be all serious all the time, isn't it? And and not be, and not be smiling and having a joke. So, and we're trying to do the same thing in a place like that. So I think it's really important. And then, and then the other thing is like, you talked about managing that sort of maverick character. We talk a lot about managing egos. And I've, I, again, I've asked you about difficult players, coaches, but those sort of mavericks, the Robmans, or if we think about football, like the Gascoines and people like that, that's sort of a question in itself, isn't it? Approaching players like that and, like you say, not putting them in the box but helping them thrive because we need people like that in the sport, don't we?
1: We do. And to be honest, if you think about some of the best athletes in the world, okay, at any sport, they have something that not many others have. Mm. Most athletes at any level, like if you, look, you take a Premiership footballer, they, they're all at a level of talent. Otherwise, they wouldn't be playing week in, week out in Premiership. But what makes the elite the elite is something very small and something very different. And that, those, that small nuance, right, that differentiator, can be very different between each of those athletes. But you have to admire or cajole or understand what that is Right, so I mean, you look at Tiger Woods, okay? Look at everything that now has come out about Tiger Woods, Mm. but but that is Tiger Woods, yeah. You know, he's obviously going through a huge amount of issues, but because of the, the way that his persona was built and what he did, but you know, that's his release valve, if you like, and everyone needs that, and everyone has to have that. But rather than just say, "Oh, Tiger Woods is this," you know, for me, watching Tiger Woods come back and win the Masters oh. from all the injuries and all the things that he went through in his personal life was probably one of the most outstanding things I've ever seen in, in, in human achievement and sport. It was unbelievable. Well, so you Talked about that yeah,
0: this morning, yeah, yeah. The, the ability
1: to do it, right? But don't criticize. Hmm. If you're looking after someone like that, the view is, okay, how can I help you? How can I guide you? How can I support you? Not, oh, you shouldn't be doing this or you shouldn't be doing that. You know, these guys are different and they're different for a reason. And they are the best of the best. And that difference is the reason why they're not your standard soccer player. That's why they are world class. And one world-class athlete playing the same sport is not necessarily have the same traits as another world-class athlete playing the sport. Cristiano Ronaldo versus Messi, they are completely different in what they do. So it's a, it, the psychology of all of that for me is hugely, hugely fascinating. And I think when you go into a new environment and you're working with a new client, that relationship and understanding what they like and what they don't like and, you know, the things that make them tick is the number one thing that you have to get right first as a coach. Mm. Forget about all your knowledge and all your technology. You have to get that one-to-one relationship and respect. And I think you'll get respect by sticking to your opinion, but being able to adapt to the environment that you're in.
0: There's that balance isn't there and that's the real art of what we do isn't it that we're able to sort of notice those areas that we can improve and like you used the example yeah. before about a coach going in and banning pizzas and beers and not even asking the question on why they actually do that that might be the one time they can that team can only sit down together like we don't know do we?
1: sure sure absolutely yeah. well that
0: that that sort of skill Dave do you see that and this, this might not be a straightforward answer to this, but do you think majority of practitioners can get to that? Do you think a lot of people, or do you think they just need to go through the battles of maybe trying to be, enforce their principles or enforce their philosophies and getting that hit back, getting that experience and then building it up? Or do you think every practitioner, if they sit back and they take that approach of being the sponge, and do you think everyone can do it? I don't know if I made sense with that, or <laughs> you know, get what I mean.
1: I think, I think you can to a level. I don't think you could take it to the extreme because, like I said, it, it's very much a personality, it's an art. Yeah. Right? 100% it's an art. Um, but I do think if you self reflect, and I do think, you know, I always say within our companies, leave your ego out the door, right? And also, I think a lot of people, especially when they start off in sport, they're worried about what everyone else thinks, right? <laughs> I look back at my career and, you know, for right or wrong, you know, I always the first thing I always used to worry about was leaving the the uh, leaving the training ground early. Okay, so it'd be like I'd be six o'clock before I walk out the door because I didn't want anyone thinking that I wasn't working. Yeah, I, it was the environment that we're in, and I'm sure that happens throughout football and every sport now, still to this day. And I used to have staff of being in charge. That I'd be like, have you done it? Yeah, go home. No, 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 I'll mm-hmm. just hang on. i just, you know, or they they loiter around the gym or do, and I'm like, what are you doing? Go home to your wife and kids, mm-hmm. right? So these are all lessons that I've learned. I'll tell you another lesson. So, you know, I, I, I built a business, a company, at the same time as working in sport. So I was literally finishing six o'clock at the training ground, going to clinic at seven, doing seven till sometimes midnight, right? I was doing that three or four times a, a week to build up a business so that financially i didn't have to rely on losing my job or being worried about losing my job in sport and sport is very fickle yeah so i did it number one to be financially secure and number two to have the skill set so as i trained as a manipulative therapist i could go and you know learn and keep my skills up with say cervical spines or you know Manipulating a sacral iliac joint, which is something you're not always necessarily going to do all the time in football. And I always set myself goals. Okay. So I would say to myself, like, I want to get to this figure, you know, on my PL sheet, or I want to be able to run a marathon, or I want to be able to have, like, for instance, my first Rolex watch. Okay. So it's just the way that I am. Mm. So I would set those goals and I'd work hard to get those goals and then I would, you know, myself be proud of what I've achieved, whether it's, you know, running a sub-330 marathon, owning a Rolex watch or whatever it would be, material, you know, monetary, whatever. So, I bought myself uh, my first Porsche, okay, it's a true story. I never, never, ever would take it to the training room, ever. No one knew I had a Porsche. Because I would be like, oh, you flash bastard, blah, 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 you know? But over the years, I look at it all and I laugh at it. I mean, like, because I'm nearly now at a point where I'm like, I don't give a shit what you think, <laughs> right? And really, I look back at all those scenarios and things that I had done and, like, you know, staying at the training ground till six or not driving my car into the training facility and just turning up. And Given a persona, I'm like, well, why, why, yeah. why, why would I honestly be bothered about what these multi-million dollar uh, pounds? So I've been in America too long. <laughs> think, but you know, I wouldn't. The, my view is, what? Well, it's me.
0: Yeah.
1: Why am I trying to be something I'm not? And I think we do a lot of that in sport. You know, when you're in that club environment, you do a lot of that. You're very conscious about, you know, I don't want to say the wrong thing or I'm going to sit on the fence. and So, well, are you actually improving what you're doing? Are you actually really being yourself? Are you actually really enjoying what you do? And are you actually having an influence? Because if you're not, why are you doing it? Mm. Apart from having the name on the badge and the business card and go to the conferences and, you know, the, the way to build that is to actually push And listen, I push sometimes and I've ended up losing my job. You know, when I was at Chelsea, I had the ability to stay, but there was a situation that happened, which I wasn't happy about. They had a restructure of the department. I was like, that's not what I came here for. Mm. And I stuck to my guns and everyone said to me, you're crazy. You're with this successful club. You've won this one. I'm just but it's the principle of the thing for me. Mm.
2: It's
1: not about the money or the position. It's the principle. And in the end, I ended up basically, you know, saying, I'm not happy about it. Come to agreement with the club and I left. But then I left to come to the Knicks. And I think I look back and think, well, if I hadn't stuck to my views and my opinions on that, I would have never lived in America. I would have never worked in an NBA franchise. And that was in my career, the best move I've ever had, because now I've got two American kids. I live in a great town. I've got connections across the United States. I'm running a great business. It would never have happened. I might even still, I doubt it, but I might have even still been at Chelsea, like all the people that work with me are still there now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you look back on on situations and of course everyone makes mistakes in life, but my view is not necessarily ponder on what, what you've done in the past, move forward, keep driving forward, keep testing, keep setting those goals. You know, if your goal is to work for a Premiership team, map it out. Yeah. How am I going to get from a Championship team to a Premiership team? What is it that they need, right? Well, you know, I need a Masters. I need a PhD. I need to have this qualification. I need to be able to expand and show my CV I've worked here, here and here. Go and do the Romans and the ING Academies and the Dolphins. Go and spend your own money and time Going to these places and, and being that sponge. And if you keep doing that, you'll keep networking, you'll keep meeting people, and one day that door will open. Don't yeah. expect yeah. it to open straight away. It might be five, 10 years down the line. And that would be my advice to your listeners to, you know, if they were trying to get up the ladder, um, think about where, where is it they want to go. So, my legacy now is I want to build this software company to help people in sport, right? I want to be a differentiator because I understand what it's like to work in sport. So all the technology that we're building is around saving people time, improving communication, making people's lives easier and taking them out of their Excel spreadsheets and their silos and bringing it all together to make sense of that big cake. Whether it's the coach's view, the psychology, the the Nutritionists, whatever it is that the organizations are doing, our, our job as a company is to try and bring all that together and make sense of it. Brilliant. And there's from your
0: sort of evolution through your career, Dave, going from physiotherapy, working at clubs, to now a business owner of, of multiple businesses and doing all the things that you're doing at the moment do you think that's the biggest mindset shift for you on reflection in terms of where you spoke before about staying at the training ground to a certain time, that's like a, it's like a perception thing, isn't it? That you perceive to be doing more than what you're doing, maybe, or doing, yeah, going, going, doing more. But is it more focused now on productivity? Do you feel, do you feel like that's like the big thing for you now being in the business world?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I, I still believe in having fun. So I'll give you an example. Uh, in, the, in the summer, every Friday, we, we, t- we stop the office at lunchtime and go out and play golf. Most Fridays. Everyone, let's go, on me, right? Uh, we went to Colorado. We signed a team in Colorado. We signed an Olympic team at USOC. So we, we were having two clients, uh, one MLS and one Olympic in Colorado. So there was five of us from the office went out. And then I said, right, what we're going to do is we're going to go out and have three days skiing do our work with the client, and we're going to have three days skiing at the end of it, and we're going to come home. We had the best time. We come back, we have now got a shitload of work to do for a new mm-hmm. client in Major Baseball that we signed. Like, a lot. So it's a huge deal for us. It's a long-term contract, looking at all of the information that this team wants, from game statistics to video to everything that this organisation does is coming into our system. So there's a lot of work. So now I'm like, I, okay, we've got to get this done. We've got deadlines. My view is, I said to the staff last night, look, if we need to stay at 7, 8, 9 o'clock tonight to finish the deadline for tomorrow, and you can have a day off next week. Yeah, Everyone's on board. It's a team effort, team drive. Are they happy about doing it till 7 or 8? Probably not. But my view is, well, yeah, but what about the fact that we can go skiing or we can play golf or we can, you know buy everyone lunch or just a little tiny thing. So it's no different for how I would run, say, the Chelsea physio department or Legionite physio. It's, it's no different, really. Different characters, different requests, different needs. And I'm very much like, you know, you've got to go to see the doctor or you've got to do x Yeah, fine, no problem. I'll, I need to work from home tomorrow. No problem at all. Mm. But the minute that the, the, the standards drop, yeah. then I'm basically like, hey, you can't have it both ways. So as a CEO, i got to keep driving. And, you know, my view is that I've got to manage and mould those people and look after them and support them. Uh, and then the productivity just speaks for itself. And that's basically how we work.
0: Well, do you think that's – you, you compared it to football there and that said that that was your approach at Leeds and the clubs that you were at. Do you think that's common throughout football, though? Do you think no. it's too much – push towards like the working long hours and and not having that balance.
1: I I don't think from just and this is this is obviously not everyone, but I don't see that team approach within departments in football. Mm. Or if they are if they have got a really good team approach, then they're not necessarily communicating with the other team. So, in other words, like the sports science team being on the same page as the medical team. You know, I see a lot of frictions occurring and silos occurring of these departments. And the left hand doesn't always know what the right hand does. And, for instance, the sports scientist has got all of his stuff
2: on a, on an Excel spreadsheet on his laptop, but he's not sharing it with the medical people. Mm. But that's his work. You know, you don't need to know that type of thing. This is what makes me look good. But you know, at the end of the day, if the injuries are going through the roof, and it's like, well, that's actually really relevant to what we're doing. Yeah. So, uh, I'm not saying at every club, but I think things. I think, yeah, of course, it's professional, right? And of course, you've got to win, okay? But I think you're going to be a lot more successful of working collectively together as a group than sort of having a dictatorship. You know, because
1: at the end of the like for instance, I still speak to people at Chelsea. I still speak to all of my team at Leeds United. And that's 20-odd years ago. I spoke to Alan Sutton two weeks ago. Harvey's at the Nationals. I speak to Stu Sullivan. I spoke to Stu Sullivan yesterday. And these are all relationships that i built up with these people at clubs while I'm working there. Why should you? So, uh, you know, you, you can be friends with someone as well as being professional with someone. And I, I think that's really important. I think it's really important, especially if you're in charge of someone, to support them, mm. you know? Because the more you support them, the more productivity you get out of them. And it's the same in my physio business. You know, there's times where you can't literally just, you know, throw money against it because you're not necessarily having the money. But there's things that you can do to, you know, make someone know that you appreciate them. I'll give you the situation. I got a brilliant physio that works for us in Nottingham. Um, she actually trained where I trained, and she's worked for me for twenty odd years. She's a single mum, and she didn't say anything to us. We just heard it through the grapevine that she got a bike stolen. It's a silly thing, right? But it was her bike. She used to love biking to work. Mm. We just bought a bike, and we didn't say nothing. We just let we just put it at the house. It's things like that about management and caring for someone. It's the same as like with an athlete, of going that extra mile, and like if the athlete wants you to go around his house to treat him at the house, yeah, sure, I'll do that for you. Not that, oh, you know, I can't tomorrow night, mate, got something on with the missus or, you know, that, that's no good when you're trying to assist or help. And that's, again, that little bit of going that extra. And what I find, especially with all the celebrities and people that I've now, you know, got from sport and moved into, going that extra mile goes a massive long way with those people. And I can text and have a conversation or I know that I could, you know, text someone and ask them a favour. As long as you're not, you know, abusive, they'll do it for me. Yeah. Because I've built up that relationship and it might have been like, you know, we looked after Dave Grohl when he broke his ankle, fell off the stage for the Foo Fighters. I text Dave every other week. A bit, bit of laughs, for bit of crack. I know that if I needed something from him, if he could do it, he'd do it. Mm. Because it's that type of relationship you build up. And that's really, really important. And the more of those that you can build over your career and you stay in contact with people and help people, the more that that's going to help you in your path to, you know, whatever it is. I mean, again, what's success? I mean, some, you know, my wife would argue that I'm I'm a workaholic and, you know, I'm I'm on it at 5am and, you know, I'm going to New Jersey to treat an NFL player at eight o'clock at night and it's a two hour drive there and a two hour drive back. And she's like, you're crazy. Why why are you doing that? Mm. Because I actually love doing it.
0: Yeah. Well, there's that, and there's there's obviously the fact that you've obviously reset goals a lot of the time, haven't you, I'm guessing, from getting to a point and then saying, right, now I want to get here, which is surely just the way that, when you talk about success, like, this is goal setting and things like that have to be part of it, but we have to rethink about those things and reset them as well, don't we?
1: I agree. And don't be afraid as well, you know, if your goal is money, don't be afraid to admit that your goal is money or a Rolex watch or... Whatever it is, don't be afraid of that. One hundred percent. I think a lot of people are like don't want to really talk about that. And like, why? Yeah. Why? I mean, it's like you know, if you think the players are thinking that the, the, the next contract, they're not. You know, they're always <laughs> going to want more. Yeah. So might, and, and it's no different from anyone else working in the environment. You get success, you get paid more. Mm. Okay. So as you get better at what you do, right? So I have a fee. And I got asked last week, oh, it's expensive. I'm like, don't use me. No problem. I'm busy. Mm. That's my level now. And I'm not dropping it. Because the biggest thing that you'll work out in life is, as you get more and more successful, is your time. Time, right, has to have a price. Because what you end up doing, and I've seen this as well, you end up looking back on life and you'll be like, Where's it gone? Yeah. Okay. I've done all that stuff. Where's it gone? So, that's really important for people to understand. So that goes back to that thing: you finish doing your work. Don't, don't loiter. You've done it. Boom, boom, boom. Your productivity's out there. Boom, boom, boom. Get in your car and go and spend time with your family or your kids, and not be worried about what someone else is thinking. Mm-hmm. Right. To be valuable, or if you want to move up the ladder, and that's your goal because everyone has different goals. Put that time into educate, put that time into dedicate, put that time into you know be that sponge. Everyone's got different goals. I'll give you another scenario. So I I had a physio work for me, it's not the way I work, but I had a physio work for me. As soon as it comes to six o'clock, she's done, out the door, phones are off. And there was a scenario where I needed to know something from her, and I couldn't get hold of her, and it infuriated me, right? But then I look back at it, and I'm like, actually, she's got a work-life balance correct, Mm. and maybe I'm wrong. And I I stepped back from it, and I actually respected her for doing what she did, and I was like, okay, so that's the way that you operate. I have to understand if I need to get this information from you, I can't be calling you at eight o'clock at night. I have to do it before you finish work. Mm. That's respect. But 10 years ago, I would have gone berserk. I would have been, you're this, you're that. You, I need to get a better physio in than you. you. know, This is not going to work for me, blah, blah, blah. blah you know. And I've adapted. I've learned.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Does that make sense? 100%, 100%. <laughs> Dave, I could go on all day but i know you've got loads of work to be getting on with um so i really appreciate you coming on mate i think there's been some great stuff we've covered in there um i appreciate you being so open and honest about everything and, and for giving up your time so big thank you
1: pleasure ben keep smiling love what you're doing
0: <laughs> thank you mate we'll stay in touch
1: all the best to you.
0: Like I said at the start of the podcast, I really appreciate Dave coming on. I know he's super, super busy, so I appreciate him giving up his time. But I also just wanted to say a quick thank you to some of the guys at Apollo as well. So, uh, Giant Mystery has sorted out pretty much all the communication between us and and essentially th- he's one of the reasons why this podcast happened. But also, previous guests on the podcast only a few episodes ago, Michael Macri, big, big, uh, thank you to those guys as well for for sorting out Dave coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Go and give Apollo a follow um, at Apollo V 2 underscore over on Twitter and check out some of the work that they're doing. I know they've got some big, big franchises and clubs that they're working with at the moment. So, um, yeah, keep an eye on the, the progress with them. In terms of takeaways from this one, again, there was loads. And to be honest, I need to listen back a few more times just to, think about some of the extra ones, but some of the ones I managed to write down, um, being a sponge, something that comes across a lot, like literally taking in as much information as possible, not going into new roles and things and trying to put everything in place straight away, actually listening and looking and seeing what's going on currently, Um, relating things to the game, constantly relating stuff to the game, learning when to push and when to pull, so a lot of this stuff comes from experience, um dave mentioned as well about you're not everyone's friend but you can be respected and not liked and i think that's something that a lot of coaches have to accept that we aren't going to be mates with everyone but you've got to try and earn that respect to be effective in your role um and then also he he talked about doing something small and something different so this this was applying to like practitioners like this, this is something that you could take away from the podcast that some small things that you can do and some things that you can give to a role can make quite a big difference. So it's trying to think about how you stand out, uh, what are some of the differences that you can make to, to a role or an organization or a club or a coach. So they were some of my takeaways. I think this is going to be um, a, what, an episode that's going to get out to plenty of people, hopefully. But I would really appreciate you guys giving it a push for me go onto social media, give it a a, a retweet or a post on Instagram, Um, and just post your takeaways as well because I know a lot of people help us try and push it but I do want to hear from you guys as well on what you took away from the podcast um, because it might be different to what I have and I'd appreciate hearing some of the things that that you took away as well so give us a tag at footballfitfed on both Twitter and Instagram or you can reach out directly and let us know either on DM or drop us an email mail at footballfitfed.com it'd be great to hear from you guys on what you took from the podcast just finally, before I let you go, I just wanted to say, I'm, I'm delighted to say that next week in episode 132, we've actually got a player coming onto the podcast, someone that I've wanted. I wanted to get a player on for a long time, but I wanted it to be the right player that we could have the right sort of conversations with. Um, I'm not going to disclose who it is just yet, but this player is a, is a goal machine, someone that is um is pretty experienced now in their career. They're also an international um, they've scored over 100 career goals and um, but they're also studying sports science and s S&C, so it'll be great to have the chat with this player and, and get their perspectives on a few things so I look, really look forward, not recording it yet but I really look forward to recording it and releasing it out next week for episode 132 but as always, big thank you to everyone for listening for the, to the podcast and I'll speak to you again next week